we look at the world around us, how it is built, the design of environments, use of technology, stairs, toilets, doorways, public transport, healthcare, employment. In its simplest form, we see a body, and in its most complex form, the construction of a body. Such a constructed body is based off of an assumed majority or norm, branching back to industrialization and eugenics. What about the 1 billion people in the world who are differing, or varying, or dissimilar, or unalike, or divergent, in terms of their psychological and physiological functionality? If the body is something fluid and infinitely variable, what are the consequences of a world that assumes and prioritizes a body that functions in a particular way? My name is Callum Glendon and Clark, and I live in a divergent body as a walking paraplegic and a rider with a brain injury. Pardon the paradox. I aim to raise awareness about one of the largest minority groups in the world. This podcast will explore and discuss the barriers surrounding accessibility and possibilities when it comes to disability support, recovery, and community. It will focus on individuals' experiences identifying and navigating these barriers, along with the services in place to assist in this process. It will also discuss the emotional as well as physical impact of these barriers in the day-to-day lives and experiences of people with a disability. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In this episode of Divergent, let me take you to the area of Australia that I moved to post-injury, Newcastle, New South Wales. I discovered this city at the same time as I first started to discover my divergent body. Newcastle is a metropolitan beach city and the second most populated city in the state, well known for its beautiful beaches and coastlines. If you come to visit, you'll no doubt see the large residential areas of standalone houses and terrace houses occupied by young families and retirees looking for a more affordable life than the one available in Sydney. So it kind of makes sense that as a 27-year-old with a spinal cord injury and brain injury and no real financial fallback, the idea of renting in Sydney again wasn't going to be a reality for me straight away. I was moved from the full-time fast-paced living week-to-week rental life that I was used to to a family home in the residential slower pace, spaced out unfamiliar Newcastle. What came with this was a loss of connection to anything familiar. Like all things in my life that happen post-injury or a large majority of them, moving to Newcastle is part of the story of navigating my disability. It's also the place where I want you to situate yourself in for this episode, as I take you to the neurological rehab I've been attending for the last year or so, called Breaking Boundaries. Places like Breaking Boundaries, uh, which are mainly called activity-based therapy or neurological recovery centers, can be hard to find for someone with a disability because it is often attached to an unfamiliar world. And for me, I got very limited information about neuro rehab centers from the hospital I was at. Or as you'll hear in this episode, even if that information is given, 
It's normally mentioned by name in passing at a time when you are often trying to put the pieces of your life back together. At this time, my main concern was about the extreme pain I was experiencing and just getting through each day. Researching potential services available to me through the NDIS was really beyond me in these early months. But eventually, I was able to seek this service out and advocate for it to be included in my funding. Because of this, I want services like this one in Australia to be more familiar to the listeners of Divergent. Breaking Boundaries is a gym with big open roller doors in the industrial area of East Mayfield, a 10-minute drive from where I'm living at the moment. Breaking Boundaries is a neurological rehab which aims to identify each individual's goals and figure out ways to support them towards those goals, whether this is addressed in the gym, at home, or by a referral to another service for things like chronic pain or bowel and bladder issues or many, many more issues that come with the various disabilities that they help with. Goals is very much a loaded word in Australia's National Disability Insurance Scheme vocabulary as it is a benchmark associated with funding. If you want to know more about the NDIS, go back to episode one of this podcast where I go into detail about my experience of it. For me, it might have been this initial concept of a goal that at least got me through the roller door to breaking boundaries. At this time though, I lacked perspective as to all the things associated with my disability Uh, So my initial goal was almost purely to do with physical recovery. At the time, I was hardly exposed in person to anyone with a disability or people working every day with divergent bodies with an actual understanding of how that divergence might affect the individual. Each time I came in at the beginning to Breaking Boundaries, I would chat to other gym goers while waiting for my session to start or just after it finished. We'd ask each other things like, hey, how are you? How are things going for you with your NDIS plan? You know what you should try? It helps me a lot with my neuropathic pain. Uh, Can I tell you about something that's really bothered me this week? Then I would look up to see someone moving in a different way or reaching and lifting something for the first time. Everyone would silently hold in their cheers as not to distract the person mid-exercise. This type of community feel is contagious, and I think it was at that time, after starting out with Breaking Boundaries, that I started to explore reducing some of my mental health medications that were prescribed as a band-aid to cope with the isolation of my injury, the difference of my divergence. Breaking Boundaries became a place that linked me in with, I have to say, some of the most important parts of the wider treatment of my disability. I could have conversations about things specific to my spinal cord injury, about the barriers people face, about larger questions that interested me, and be met with openness and thoughtful responses. Then I would walk out the roller door to my support worker's car or play phone tag with the taxi driver trying to find their way up the industrial drive. Feeling differently than when I initially came in and thinking about how that movement, but not just movement, that connection, conversation and education has made me feel curious to keep learning and exploring until next time I'm back. Now I know I have a place to go. Before then, I didn't. Taxi drivers always get confused finding the pickup location for people after their sessions because it's one of those places that sends Google Maps into a hole of confusion. 
Similar to these taxi drivers, unless you know about it already or have been told about it, neuro rehabs like breaking boundaries can be a hard place to find for someone with a disability. In this episode of Divergent, I want to honor what breaking boundaries do and provide you with more information that you could use as a resource. You're about to listen to me have a conversation with Pip Cave, Director of Physiotherapy at Breaking Boundaries. Since graduating as a physiotherapist in 2005, she initially worked with elite athletes until she began working with National Rugby League player who played for the Newcastle Knights until he sustained a spinal cord injury playing the sport. For this recording, I went to Breaking Boundaries, where Pip and I spoke and recorded in one of the therapy rooms in the gym. We did this because each physiotherapist at Breaking Boundaries tends to see around six clients a day, and that is six hours for just actual one-to-one contact outside of note-keeping, report writing, referrals, and the extra time physios take to get to know people. Because of this, I'm grateful for Pip taking the time out of their busy schedule to speak with me. Because of the demand on her and the service's time, this is why the recording was done on-site and was not done in a studio. Yeah, so I guess the first point I'm really interested in to get to what Breaking Boundaries is and why it's here would be how it came about um, and that background you had with the Newcastle Knights. Okay, so I was a typical physio. I graduated and I went off and wanted to work in sports. So that's what I did. I went off and did a sports master's and I was working with the Knights when Alex McKinnon got injured. And when he was coming back, so he did his stint in rehab and then he um, went up to the Gold Coast to do some further therapy, and then when he was yeah. coming back, we were looking at getting him a physio to continue his spinal work. Uh-huh. Oh, this will be easy, like we'll just get a local spinal physio involved, yeah. and there weren't any. Uh-huh. Well, there was sort of one at the through the public system mm. who, of course, had such limited availability, he could only see him, you know, an hour or two a month oh, wow. at the time. Yeah. So he was going from you know, essentially daily therapy for two hours a day and making really good progress to coming back and having, you know, very minimal input, not through the fault of the therapist, but simply because that's what the system had. He was just yeah. overworked. It was just him and all of Newcastle. Yeah. Was, so that, see that time, that was around 2000, was that around 2014? Yes. And that just happened to be when kind of the NDIS was kicking off? In Newcastle? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah that's great. No, okay. I didn't know when we started out, didn't know anything about the NDIS. Yeah. I learned about it probably a few years later, 2016. Oh, when really? I, when I realised the NDIS was out there. So you were kind of driven towards creating space for people to access neurological rehab recovery or even mainstream physio before that was something that would be funded for them. Yeah, yeah, because it was just it just needed to be there. Like yeah. you can't have people coming back at the very start of their rehab and then having such limited resources for them. Yeah, I mean that was my experience. I, you know, you go to a service and on paper you think this sounds great. It's got everything you need: OT, physio, social work. Like such a, like, it's great that that space is even there. But then it's not. They don't really have the time, as you said, to give you. Perhaps what you, what you really need. Or what you want. 
Yeah, and actually, that's a better way of saying yeah, it. And yeah, and it, and what the government system says that you need and what you know as a human that you need can also be different things. Uh-huh. And it can also just be the time that you're discharged. If you're discharged at a unusual time when there's no one else, you might get excellent therapy. Uh-huh. If you're discharged at the same time as three other people that all coming back up to Newcastle, then your chances are decreased because there's more people to deal with all at once. Yeah. Um, so, in in saying that, was it hard to justify when the NDIS rolled out? Yeah. Were you receiving clients at, or participants, or I guess people coming to train at breaking boundaries bef- at at that rollout? So that would be interesting in terms of like how you then had to justify. Yeah. Well, when the I service. started. Breaking Boundaries in 2016, the NDIS was established in Newcastle, yeah. not everywhere else, but I was just learning how to use it. Uh-huh. And it, so it was an interesting starting point. I think one of my first ever patients that wanted to come in a spinal cord injury was told by NDIS, no, you can't, that's health's problem. And at the time, yeah. he wasn't getting any rehab for health. Uh-huh. Um, but it was, so it was just quite bizarre. Yeah, but we rehabbed him anyway, and we got there, and then he got the funding. And just luckily, realised that there was a huge need for it. Uh-huh. Um, this person went from not being able to use their arms to being able to, you know, reach their mouth and things, which is a huge change in someone's life. Yeah, massive. To being, you know, spoon fed to being able to feed yourself is a big change. Yeah, and in terms of like how the NDIS responded to that, was that what I always find interesting about coming here is you feel backed up in terms of not necessarily just the gains, but then justifying the gains you've made to make it of value to that system. Exactly. So it has someone behind you saying, look, here's two measurements over that six-month, one-year period of how this person has access now to that limb or that movement that then makes them more independent and therefore they don't need as much of this other area. Yes, we're happy to really justify it and cut down to the nitty-gritty with clients and then also with the NGS and explain it to them that you know, this, is, this is why this is a beneficial service. Yeah, and I always think that's really interesting how, you know, when you come at it from sports, from where you came in, perhaps you're, I don't know if this is how you felt, but it's connected, you know, to movement directly. But in a disability perspective, movement actually becomes transferable into all these other areas of how you connect to like wider world around you. Absolutely, and that's why it's so important. And the reality is we're quite happy to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars rehabbing one of our sports stars' little toes, so why aren't we happy to do the same to improve someone's ability to walk or function or you know, themselves again or yeah. just access the community and be able to hang out with their friends yeah it's far more important than someone's toe or finger yeah then this is it's so interesting when you think about then how much access a service like this gives but then it wouldn't be or it's not necessarily standard protocol to be referred here if you have a neurological injury. I mean, I can, I, I can really only speak from my own experience, but coming home and then you have to go, I engage with just exercise physiologists at first at the local gym, and then you're going online and looking for things, and then you eventually find something. But it's, I find that really interesting in that the NDS provides that as a service that could be available to anyone 
if it's specifically linked to their disability. Um, but where's the disconnect? How do you get the information to know that that's a possibility? To like, the right person. What are the choices? Yeah, because it's all about choice, but then they just throw you out, say, 10 names of physios, and uh-huh. you don't actually know whether they've got experience with what you're talking about. Exactly. Like, yeah, there is an absolute disconnect there that we're sort of working on. We're trying to work more directly with re- the rehab services so, yeah. so that people coming to Newcastle know that this is an option. And if it's not for them, that's fine, but they know that these are their options and that these are the sort of people that can address their needs because there's a huge disconnect at the moment. And we do still have a lot of people that get referred here after they've gone and seen their mainstream physios and, you know, struggle to get in through the door and then have therapy that they're not really sure what it's doing. Yeah. And then they come here and go, ah, this is what I'm missing. Do you think that's one of the distinctions? Because I guess, like, a lot of people who are listening won't really know. They might be like, but physio is physio not really see, I guess, the difference. And maybe the distinction would be that more well, my experience of breaking boundaries is just more informed in terms of the needs you might have that would be specific to your disability as opposed to just working with the things that do already work for you. That's that's correct. It's we sort of have that knowledge base and and we will also just spend that time with you to figure out well what what in your mind do you want to work? what is your goal and how do we best address that as opposed to the regular which is like you said working on things that you've already got so yeah. we will we're happy to go outside the box and go well what do you not have and what would you like and is is that a possibility uh-huh. and if, but in a way that's justifiable yeah it's that that could be quite a diff- sensitive difficult process to explore with people it is but it's also their process to explore not yeah. ours and that's very important for people to understand. It's not for me to tell someone that their goal of, you know, being able to push a certain distance or being able to ride a bike or being able to walk is completely unattainable. It's my job to lead them through their options. Yeah. And it's their decision to decide what they want to, what they want to devote to it. That's really interesting because it ties in with the previous conversation I've had with Zebrafish and I was talking to Steph, um, who is one of the people who stepped up and been working in physio Pilates for years. And I asked them about myths around a spinal cord injury rehab. And she said, one she thinks is this kind of assumption that someone, first of all, would want to walk or needs to walk after an injury. And is that their goal? Not, not necessarily saying they would or wouldn't want that, but is that coming from them or is that coming from their family, their partner, and how they feel they would fit in at a societal level. Absolutely, and then you find that the people that can walk are then judged completely differently again. Yeah, like, I mean, my experience, I guess. Yeah, it's like, oh, wow, you're fixed. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always have the saying that walking's overrated. Yeah, well, I think in the context of spinal cord injury, I can see totally why that's said, because it's, I think even in the survey where they ask paraplegics and quadriplegics it's way below things like pain, sexual function, Absolutely. Yeah. You can get around, but it's there's so many more important things to address. And there's certainly, I sort of find there is a stigma that, oh, you just try and get people that can't walk to walk again. So, well, no. no <laughs> we do a lot. lot more than that. Yeah. Um, and if walking is a goal for them, then we will point them in the steps they need to take to achieve it. Yeah, I mean, I can speak from that experience in that I came in, I guess, walking a little bit 
um, with my cane, and then that increased. But this service actually helped me in all to first of all identify the other areas that I was just so like tunnel vision blocked out, and then how to navigate those. Which was funny because that's the coordinator's role uh, through the NDIS, but. From coming to a service like this, I was unable to access things like a better coordinator who was more informed, um, addressing the spasticity in my foot, help with managing my bladder, and I was always curious, is that a common, not necessarily a common, but is it an experience you've seen more than a couple of times yeah, with we, people coming in? Yeah, we do see it quite a lot in that. And, and it's it's you know, the system is built for oh you have a disability here go here and it's like well no there's different types of disabilities that need different types of intervention yeah um, and you do need people that have experience in your industry so they can ask the hard questions because often the hard questions haven't been asked yeah and you don't know what like you said you don't know what help you can get yeah until until you talk to people that have seen it and it, yeah that's what helps and having a bit of a community around too where you can talk to other people that have had similar injuries and, and sort of explore with them and learn from what their story's been and what they're trying. Yeah. So that we can try and sort of keep everyone informed and, and you know, make it about your choice, not about the coordinator's choice, not about the physio's choice, it's yeah. the participant's choice. And was this, see, um, I, for me, this was like a totally different learning process coming in, but when you started the, the organisation as a business, did it... Was that a learning process for you as well? Yeah, it was huge because I always wanted it to be about the person, uh-huh. but trying to get that message across was very difficult for the first two years. Yeah. It's been a lot more accepted now and that we can, and I think the NGIS is you know, a little bit more accepting of people's individual goals rather than a, you know, you have this disability, so this should be your goal. Uh-huh. So I think there has been a shift at the moment, whether that will stay, but it was... It was really hard trying to convince people to, you know, come on board. Not clients, but other sort of therapy providers. Yeah. I think, again, that's another interesting connection that that the service actually helps people deal with a lot of um, psychosocial issues connected to movement and management of their disability. But I know from speaking to you previously... How how was the business initially received by I guess more mainstream physiomedical kind of tech, not with um, by name or by name or anything? Yeah, no, medical were really supportive. Yeah. Mainstream other mainstream services found it a little bit hard because it was so different, uh-huh. and also like, well, why do you need to do that? And I was like, well, because no one no one's doing it. There is there is no way for someone in Newcastle with a spinal cord to go yeah. and do some rehab. And you can't... The push was, oh, we'll just do it in their home. But <laughs> if you try doing sit-ups on a, on a air mattress, it's almost impossible okay, yeah. because they want to go. And, look, I love exercising. You know, I used to do ultramarathons and all sorts of things like that, and yeah. I hate exercising at home. No. So how do I... Why would I expect someone who's been through a life-changing event who's just had their entire home changed and set up for their personal... Mm. you know, personal care to then suddenly want to exercise in that space. I know, and then isn't it's that... It's sub... So... So backwards. Yeah. Isn't that, again, going into that idea of, like, the 
person being stuck at home with a disability rather than accessing the community and services around and being visible and active. Yeah. So they kind of influence. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting connection to movement too in that you might see this with people you work with, I guess, is when someone rediscovers some sort of movement, whatever it is, any type, rolling over in bed, moving their hands, standing a little bit longer, that that then can transfer into the sense of self and then how they might be able to act on a larger scale, whether it's in their community, in their family, with their partner. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, just the idea of, okay, just exercise at home. Just stay at home so no one can see you and we don't have to acknowledge that you're here. Yeah. It's just that message of, oh, well, it's good enough, isn't it? Yeah. So if you don't expect anyone else to exercise... So do you think home, that, on their bed? <laughs> do you think that the, I mean, the, the NDIS provide the funding, but do you think it, it's been services like this developing that have pushed the shift towards that more um, holistic understanding as opposed to a more like isolated? Okay, this is the problem. Let's deal with that. Here's the money for that isolated thing. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, I think we're now getting participants that are well-educated and they're pushing forward. Yeah. Um, the ones that are, you know, good at advocating for themselves. And then we're getting some good coordinated supports that are seeing results and going, you know, this is something I need to advocate for, for my, for my participant. Yeah. Which is a really important shift. Yeah. Because we don't want people sitting at home. Yeah. yeah. In my personal experience, I feel like break, connecting with this service is what opened up even starting to see that or starting to see people coming in who work as coordinators or talking to people like that. I always say acquiring a disability is like being sent to a foreign country with no language and no guidebook. (laughs) You kind of know that you've got to get around but you've got no idea how to get anywhere or communicate with anyone and you've just got to feel your way around. And what we need to do is try and make it so that you have an interpreter and you have a guidebook and, okay, well, this is this is what you've got. Okay, well, have you thought about this, this, this and this? Yeah. And can you go down this? Because it's, it's just so hard. I mean, you've had this huge injury and then they expect you just to go off and find your own way. Yeah. Which is an or find the, the mainstream medical way, which may not be suitable for you. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was turning, first of all, to the internet, which yeah. has all sorts of <laughs> other lot, problems. Yes. <laughs> because we know the ties with, like, the what we spoke about with walking and stuff like that, is that my goal? Yeah, um, and, it's, and, and it's pushed and pushed and pushed. Yeah, and then, yeah, we, we're not going to go into that, yeah. but um, then, uh, yeah, it's... The mainstream media pushing certain opinions on people. Yeah, so interesting, I think. Well, that's the other thing that I think when there's a service available, but you don't know, I guess, till you come that it can help educate you in that way, and then you have that experience and I guess like the more people who talk about it within the community with disabilities the more hope that that will spread yeah I think we just everyone has to be having really honest discussions yeah in the disability community community yeah. about everything and not trying to hide things yeah because people want to know yeah I know. and we need to be educating the mainstream population that you know you don't ask someone how they go with their walking you ask them how their life is and what's making them happy and what yeah. They want to do because they're people, they're not legs. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. People always think of that, like, oh, you're a fitness fanatic now, and you're like, no, I'm interested in moving my body. Yeah. Like, 
interested in living. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. Good, good thing to do. Standing for long enough so I can work. That's like one of my main interests was the inclusive environment of breaking boundaries, and then this. So barrier in terms of accessing the information, but barrier in terms of getting home and thinking about okay, exercise, going to a gym. This is a new body that could be pretty scary. How would I interact with the other people there? How will they view me? How, and um, I just, again, I, I guess it comes down to people sharing information, getting people through the door. Uh, well, how do you think Breaking Boundaries is a different environment to like have the, the experience of a mainstream? Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I think it's just very inclusive and it's set up to make it easy. And I think that as you walk through the door, just the fact that you can just go straight in, there's no stairs to navigate, just sets people at ease straight away. And then when we come in, it is all about all about you. There's so many barriers for everyone to exercise, let alone someone with a disability. Yeah. We've just tried to aim to knock down as many as we can. Yeah. So that when you come in, you're comfortable and everyone sort of knows you. And we, I guess with the physio training we have, we get pretty good at cluing into different people's what motivates them and it's trying yeah. to then create the space that they need to exercise in as opposed to what everyone else needs. Yeah. Um, probably put a little bit of a dent in that, but I think we're now getting back to the, you know, if we know that Cal's coming in, we know what sort of music he likes to have on, yeah. we know that he likes this. And, you know, we do have some people that like to come in when no one's here and uh-huh. that's fine too. So we get them in early or late and we change the music and, you know, all even little things like that can make such a difference to someone's Confidence. Yeah, and then that, then I guess if you're educating or moving in that type of environment, then it might transfer into when you're doing th- things in your everyday life more. That's it, great confidence. That was like a big, uh, well, one of the problems, I guess, with some of these places you hear about and the more, I guess, it, at the front, um, U.S., kind of neuro rehabs would be people pay lots of money to go and then they exercise there and then they go home and then they kind of switch off. Yeah. Is that something, does breaking boundaries kind of encourage people's, well, in my experience it has, but um, moving here, but then in a way that then you can do at home or when you transfer out of your chair to the car or... Yeah, and then focusing on those goals and really getting to know the person and what they're not doing and trying to open up, give them options for that. So... Finding out, oh, you can't get in and out of your car. Okay, well, let's work on that. Oh, can you? Do you know how you can transfer from your bed to the chair? Well, that means you should be able to do your chair to your car. So let's work on that. Whereas yeah. the person may not have thought that that was in the realms of possibility. Because why would you? You're not trained yeah. in this. You're just trying to navigate your mind. Yeah. And so it's about pointing out those things to them and encouraging, like you said, the movement at home and trying to take a more holistic approach. And if we need to, you know, linking people dietitians and yeah. yoga instructors and all that sort of stuff to look after their mindfulness and their nutrition and things like that. That's all really important. 
Yeah, in my experience, I find services I've related to the most have always been like encouraging this, I guess, just raised level of awareness about your body, how it works for you, and how you can make it work for you. Exactly. Yeah. And to try and keep that, and so that you can get what you need out of that body. Yeah. Um, And then that's why I don't understand why it wouldn't be standard protocol to come. I mean, I guess another group would be like peer services, but I couldn't find many of those in Newcastle. So they're definitely still being established. Yeah. Peer services. And they're they're complicated because you're getting a group of people together that doesn't necessarily always work out. It's very variable depending on who's available when. Yeah, and also strange getting people of all different personalities and being like, well, you all use wheelchairs. So. Yeah, <laughs> you must all be friends. Yeah. <laughs> I pass someone in a wheelchair and they're like, oh, do you know them? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I guess at breaking, I mean, you guys deal with a whole host of disabilities here, right? Yeah, yeah, everything from, well, let's see, look, cerebral palsy to rare neurological conditions to spinal cord yeah. uh, to MS. And then we get the occasional mainstream people that come in as well. Yeah, yeah. I actually bumped into someone at the beach bars the other day and they were like, hey, you both physio. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, like, really young kids too. Yeah, we've got yeah. some little leads that come through. Yeah. How do they, is it the families that find out about the service like this? Uh, yeah, some of the doctors have referred them. So yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're quite drawn to know about us and when they've got someone that's a little bit um, out of the box, we often, we often get them to come here. Or that really need, some of the doctors recognise that some, some conditions and some individuals really need that patient-focused patient, patient focused approach. Yeah. Um, and accept that we will spend that time with them and the family, which yeah, I guess is quite unique as well because the, depending on the person, the family can be as important as the client depending on what the relationships are like and their role. Yeah, and all it makes the people that are here at the same time self-reflect a little bit, which is always a positive. Yeah. And that, their therapy and what they can be doing to help other people, which is nice because, you know, we all like to help others. It's nice to think that even if you are in a wheelchair or you're not walking as well as you could, you can still be a source of motivation or a source of help or sort of advice from people around you. Yeah, and that's the big part about inclusion, I guess, and the hope. I would imagine was something like the National Disability Insurance Scheme would be to get more people involved who are participants so that it becomes more geared towards sharing information and being... But I guess it's such a large spectrum, isn't it? So it's challenging. It's Look, everything has its challenges, though, and we just have to not accept them. We have to keep pushing at them. I'd like to think that, you know, we don't look at people with disability. We just sort of have, oh, those people require a little bit of extra funding for their daily lives, and these people don't because their life doesn't need it, rather than perhaps looking at, oh, that person has this disability. They just need a little bit more help. Yeah. And that's perfectly reasonable. Some of us do. Yeah. Some of us don't. That's life. Yeah. Instead of going, oh, well, this person has a disability, therefore they must live like this. That's yeah. not true at all. Yeah, I mean, and we're so privileged to have access to someone to even consider giving funding compared to like, some of my friends in the US and so on. Correct. Or if you talk to some of the spinal cord clients that have had it for years. And oh, the, actually, and what, yeah. What it used to be like. What, have, what, do you have any 
kind of stories like well, that? Well, I didn't work in the industry then, uh-huh. so they're only anecdotal stories that I've heard, but I've definitely heard that it was very common practice for people to have to admit themselves to hospital for many weeks of the year because they didn't have enough care hours to go around. Right. And funding for wheelchairs was always problematic. Uh-huh. Um, so you couldn't get in... You, you could have a serious problem with your wheelchair and be getting a pressure area for it, but if you couldn't afford the $15,000, $20,000 to get it fixed, well, then it didn't get fixed. Yeah. Or you had to go and apply funding grants, which took months, or you had to admit yourself to hospital and save money in your care package so that that could then pay for a wheelchair. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty pretty disgusting stuff when you think about it, that we yeah. were forcing, you know, some of these, well, quite a lot of these people have jobs and they have families and yet they had to had to try and get themselves admitted to hospital with colds and things just to try and oh, save wow. money on a, on care. Like Was that, so things like, I guess if you ran out of sanitary products, like catheters? Yeah, or catheters, that's yeah. something catheters were generally reused, people were trying to sterilise yeah. So I know it's just disgusting when you think about it, but that's what people had to do to get by, yeah. because there wasn't always, some people were lucky and seemed to get the funding, but plenty of people didn't, All and right. no one would talk about it, because no one wants to talk about it. Do you think that's because it's a bit I mean, yeah, I think it still or is. It's like yeah. some shame connected to. Yeah, we we still see clients that come through and they've had injuries and they haven't been well managed, and I think it's just like, oh, what well, they're probably going to die, so who cares? Right. Um, but they've survived and they're living a life, but they've got problems because they weren't looked after by the health system as well as they could have been. Yeah, and I guess that's like the encouragement of accessing a service like this as well as um, someone might. You build a relationship with someone to the point where you might share something that you haven't shared. Even if it's just working with your trainer and you work with them for a few months and then, hey, this is actually bothering me and then that is something you guys can look at helping them to address. But I'm always interested in why is it that people are, I guess people are coming here for a holistic thing, but that's not really how it's charged through their plan. Yes. Um... So why is it that you guys are doing often, well, and I can only really speak from my experience, but often a lot of the work that someone in the coordination role who's getting that funding out of the plan yeah, isn't I, doing. I guess it's just about being about the person and their person rather than about just, oh, our role is just in the physio. And we, I guess we know what we don't know and we're happy to refer on and go, I've got an idea how to do that, but I think you need to go see someone to get it done. Right. Maybe it's no tea. I think it's the care, you know, yeah. it's, it's you and, and we have that connection with our clients that we really care about them and if it means we have to spend half an hour after their session researching something so that they can go off and get the best access, well, then that's great and then the next time we have someone come in that needs it, we'll know it off the top of our heads. It's always a good investment. Investing in people is you never lose out. Yeah. Do you think that's where the disconnect is then maybe um, this brand? Was there a big branch of pop-up services around 2013-14 in Newcastle? I think there was a lot of community therapy starting, but I think what you've identified as that distinction is that people need more than just someone coming to their house for a few hours a week. There was an increase in that, but not not the increase that I would have thought there would have been. We're still a fairly unique service in the area. There's lots of paediatric services but we're still fairly unique and it surprises me that no one else is sort of yeah. doing the same, doing similar. Yeah, when I've spoken to people about it, even with like some 
other issues in relation to their coordination or whatever, and go, oh, you should check out this place, I go there for physio, and uh, then I've never heard of that. Or, like, a lot of people who work in support work disabilities, and they don't know. Yeah. The all, like, big organisations yeah, that don't know. Yeah. But they do like, a lot of them do like to have their own little referral bases as always set up, and they're not always looking outside the box. Okay. Do you think that maybe it's people... T- Maybe time to take a bit of a step back because it has been so much change in that six years. Absolutely. And to have a look at what's outside um, and to not just... Like, if you're in a big organisation, then it's very easy. They'll often have their own physios and OTs and they're not always the right physios and OTs for the person, but they get referred to them anyway. And look, I think that's one thing that we do well too, that sometimes we do have people that are better off seeing someone that has a, you know, a special interest and so we'll tell them, oh, go see this... You know, this physio that's also an OT and is really good at making really complicated splints, and you yeah. do that, and it's it's having that awareness. Yeah. But people have to be willing to do that, of course. Yeah, for sure. We've spoken about, like, I guess a lot of the, the positive mm-hmm. sides and the negative sides of not having access to a service like this. If it was standard practice, you know how it's kind of like standard practice when you leave, for instance whatever rehab you're in, you get referred to the health service. Yes. The one here. Yeah. If it was standard practice to start to get referred to services like this, do you think, what what do you think that would start to look like? What, how do you imagine? I, yeah, I think that there should be the referral, there should always be the referral to the public services service that's there. Yeah. And then they should also be given two or three private options, but given information on this person, this has this approach, this has this approach, and this has this approach. Because we're not right for everyone. Some people just want to come home and, you know, get involved with a certain, you know, and, and perhaps not push their rehab for a while, and that's fine, but we might be right for them in six months' time. Yeah. Um, and But it's educating, providing that choice, whereas at the moment I don't think the cho- choice just isn't provided. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting point about having being so fortunate in my experience to have something like the NDIS to help me in the first place. But then the disconnect wasn't so much in not then not having the funding, but rather knowing what to do with it. Yeah, and how to best use it. So it's like you have the freedom of choice, but if you don't know what choices to make, pointless. Yeah, yeah. Um, How do you think? you would go about building I guess is there something do you do you guys are you guys aware of building that awareness as well or do you hope that that would kind of come on with the community itself look a bit of both we've certainly been working really hard on on, um, building the awareness back with the mainstream rehab services and that's working quite well Uh Um, and it's just sort of breaking down that barrier of the traditional oh you've had this so you then get referred to this public system that may or may not, it's just break down barriers. Well, you know, guys, there are these alternative options out there. So start having these discussions with clients before you send them home so that they know what their options in the local community. I think there needs to be a real um, push through there, which I know is hard if they're rehabs in Sydney and they're moving back to Newcastle, but it's also a common thing that's happening. So there should be yeah. a list of that, that mid-group that you're talking about when you're getting out of hospital and getting out of rehab to going to access private services, there is no information. No. And even if your physio had, um, say, right, rehab has told you about us, yeah. it's also happening at a time when you've got so much else happening. Yes. You won't necessarily remember. And what we find is often people, you know, talk to someone else and go, oh, that's right, I was supposed to go there one yeah, time, yeah. but there's not necessarily the direct directive. 
um, especially with NDIS, we find that people that are funded by other bodies and will, um, are a lot more directed, like they're more told, because they often have their coordinators in place before they leave rehab and they'll be like, oh no, and they, if they say this is where I want to go, then that coordinator right. will do that because the coordinator is already, already getting funded and those uh, lines of communication are slightly more established. What's the other ones again? So you can have lifetime care, which is when you've been yeah. in a car accident, right. suddenly, um, and, you've, and you've had a serious injury, like a spinal injury or a head injury. Uh-huh. And then sometimes there's some other ones, like there's obviously workers' comp is still an issue, some yeah. people do get injured at work. Uh, and then, of course, there's um, just your third party, although they're generally the not-so-serious injuries. Right, and then they wouldn't... They would access like someone else to to kind of do the coordination role that would be through the yeah. Normally we find, and I guess it's because they need pre approval to come to therapy, so they have to be on the front. Yeah, it's got its own benefits. Like the benefit is because when they leave, they know they have to have their next step already pre approved, so the steps have already been made for them. Okay. Whereas when they have NDS, they know they've got physio funding, they just don't know who, so they don't perhaps make that effort to go okay, whereas the pre-approval has to be for a certain place. So they will put the steps in to say, go to this place or let's investigate these options while you're in rehab yeah. so that you can pick. So when you go home, there'll be that seamless transfer. Whereas I think the one form of the is they just go, I'll just go home and find a physio, yeah. which isn't... That kind of seems to be the shortfall in my experience with like the person-centred approach. I'm not saying that anything is... Treating people as an individual, as we've discussed, it's is very important. really important. But leaving them in a position in which they're forced to act independently is different. It's, it's, people still need guidance yeah. because it's new. Yeah. And they don't know what makes... Just because you've had a spinal cord injury does not make you an expert in neurological physiotherapy or yeah, being out of piece. years even. Physiotherapies that would that are adequate. And we do, we often see people down the track that have said, oh, I've wasted years doing something that wasn't, perhaps wasn't ideal, yeah. but that's what they, they didn't, like you said, they didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, you just because you had a spinal cord injury does not make you an expert in spinal cord injuries. And not everyone wants to sit on the internet researching their condition. Some people no. like to pretend it doesn't exist and don't want to look into it all, and other people throw themselves into it yeah. head on and want to know everything about it, and you yeah. have to respect that there's those two different types of people and everything in between. Yeah, and I think, well, for me, it took me a little while to <laughs> put the pieces together. Like, why isn't everyone like this? And you're like, well, that obviously they're not because it's not like that in life before. So why no, would it be like yeah, that Exactly, just because you've had a spinal cord injury, <laughs> yeah. it's not make you all the same people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, make, so is there a connection? I, I know that um, making strides, for example, was imported, well, I could be wrong, but was imported, I guess, from the Project Walk model in the US. Yeah. And then transferred over into yeah, Australia. Yeah. And then, were you, were you at all, I guess, if with your connection with Alex and setting up here, were you looking at doing something quite different or kind of with inspiration from that model? Well, making strides were fantastic. They were my first introduction into spinal, how to rehab this spinal cord injury, which of course is so different to how the mainstream physiotherapy in the hospital rehabs it. Yeah. Um, not saying one's 100% better than the other, no. they both have their benefits and yeah. they're good for different people. Yeah. I mean, the best of course is to combine the two, and uh-huh. so that's what I sort of sought to do, is going, well this is what the traditional, 
I really don't like the fact that the traditional is that you have this injury and therefore your life is going to look like this. Because I like that approach from um, making strides, which, which is very much about exploring what that person can do and working with it and, and working on lots of different strategies and lots of different neurodynamics. And it's really yeah. quite exciting. Um, but it's also a lot of hard work too, so it's finding <laughs> the mesh between the two, yeah. which I think is what we do really well. Yeah, I've heard that that's, um, I'm not so sure, I haven't heard it so much in Australia, but in the US that that's, a lot of people start off in that profession in neurological rehab and get burnt out quite quickly. Is that is that a common thing with people? Well, maybe not common, but is that something you've encountered? Um, I guess we haven't been around long enough to be worried just yet. But look, it's something we definitely have to watch out for. Yeah. Um, and there's the physical side of things as well. Some of the stuff they do at Rating Strides is incredible, but it's quite physical. Yeah. And then you do spend so much time with people, you've got to be really careful with your therapist to make sure they can maintain that quality of care and that professionalism, but then also be able to switch off from it when they get home. Yeah. Um, as well, which is, it's going to be an interesting ride to make sure people, I guess it's self-care for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. Whether, you're, whether you're injured or not. Yeah, for to sure. To try and stop burnout, because no one wants to, no one wants to leave a job they love. No, but I guess on the flip side, it would be the opposite of burnout, which would be totally encouraging from seeing people yes. take a new, even if, it, even if it's not necessarily like a measurable, I mean, there would be a measurable gain, but some sort of new, like, perspective on autonomy and their relationship to their life, which you must see all the time. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Their own choices. Yeah. And that we are just the here to help. Yeah. We're not here to rule their lives, we're here to help. Yeah, just guide and educate, I yeah. guess. It's not our job to dictate, like you said, we guide. Yeah, I mean, I, I really admire that about a service like this, like, um, when maybe that's just a thing that you have when you're in your first couple of years of spinal and you think if I spoke to someone like this I have to tell them to do this and like help them with this and really being able to be like maybe I just mention that in passing and take a step back and hope yeah. that they find their way there yeah and let them make their decisions yeah and that helps I think yeah. we all make our own decisions in life we can't, can't just model collie everyone If you're still hungry for more information after listening to this episode, head back to litmus.media forward slash news. You'll find articles, past episodes, and writing that I find super interesting and want to share with you. If you enjoy this episode of Divergent, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Callum Glendon and Clark, and you've been listening to Divergent. Litmus Media. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.